left, you better back up. We don't have enough road to get up to 88. Roads. We're going, we don't need roads. Science fiction is an existential metaphor. It allows us to tell stories about the human condition. Isaac Asimov once said, individual science fiction stories may seem as trivial as ever to the blinder critics and philosophers of today. But the core of science fiction, its essence has become crucial to our salvation. Tell me how many lights you see. There are four lights! So this is how liberty dies. Welcome to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Scott Herzog. And hello, I'm Miles P. McLaughlin. And we're recording this at 8 o'clock in the morning, a little bit early for the diner to be open. But hey, it's takeout and uh, people need breakfast, right, Miles? That's right. We, uh, <laughs> we got to be open for uh, when the people uh, get here. That's right. Absolutely. Well... Uh, talking about people that we've gotten here, we have a very special guest. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that guest and introduce him to the show here? Yes. So, ladies and gentlemen, today we have the pleasure of speaking with uh, Mr. R.A. Jones, a writer of prose and comic books whose work has been featured in Marvel, DC, Dark Horse, Image, and Malibu Comics. Now, Mr. Jones is producing and writing for Silverline. Mr. Jones, welcome and thank you for taking time to talk with us in the Sci-Fi Diner podcast. My pleasure. Thanks for having me here. Delighted to have you. Before we talk about your your work, let's learn a little more about you. What was your foray into comic books and science fiction? Well, I uh, as a as a boy, I basically uh, like most writers, I guess. Uh, once I learned how to read, I uh, I, I was hooked. I was voracious after that. Uh, some of my uh, early uh, things I enjoyed reading were. The works of Edgar Rice Burroughs, for instance, and of course uh, Stanley and Marvel Comics were just coming into their own about then, and and uh, I was hooked on both and wanted to produce both. And uh, as as a writer myself, uh, I, I sort of had my entry into the field was with uh, what was then one of the popular fan magazines of of the day, uh, a magazine called Amazing Heroes. Are there works of uh, maybe the live-action sci-fi that uh, grabbed you when you when you first uh, got into it? Oh, absolutely! Yeah, I was uh, uh, just about the right age when the original Star Trek TV series uh, debuted uh, in, in the mid '60s, uh, and uh, I am still to this day a bit of a, a trekker and. Uh, uh, television uh, was great then because uh, it was showing a lot of the uh, classic science fiction movies from the 1950s. Uh, so still to this day, I, I can rewatch and enjoy movies like uh, The Day the Earth, the original, The Day the Earth Stood Still, and uh, Forbidden Planet, War of the Worlds, and, and uh, the list just went on and on and on. Uh, great science fiction and. And uh, I was always a fan of uh, stop-motion animation as well. Oh, yeah. So through the 1950s, you had the, a lot of the great Ray Harryhausen uh, movies, the, the Jason and the Argonauts, and, and uh, the, the various uh, Sinbad movies he did and so forth. The original King Kong, of course, aired regularly on television. 
uh, back then, and that, that sort of thing just fascinated me. You mentioned Star Trek. I'm a huge Star Trek fan. I have been, you know, since my earliest memory. So that definitely resonates with me. Yeah. <laughs> I was very lucky to have uh, 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 some friends of mine for several years uh, uh, put on a, a convention here in uh, my hometown, Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, that was called Trek Expo. And uh, it was about all things science fiction, but naturally enough, a lot of of uh, emphasis on Star Trek and Star Wars, and I was the uh, master of ceremonies. So in that in that capacity, uh, it actually gave me the chance to meet uh, most of the original cast members from Star Trek television series and and uh, some of the later series as well of the motion pictures. So that was. Uh, uh, that's a kind of a special thrill. I'm sure a lot of fans have experienced that when you actually get to meet face to face and talk with and interact with uh, a person who, as a, as a child, you watched on the little screen or the big screen, and and we're just in awe of. Uh, so it was a great experience. No, no doubt. I definitely resonate with that. Uh, there's only two two actors I didn't did not meet. From the original series, and sadly, I never met Leonard Nimoy or uh, DeForest Kelly, but I met met the other actors at other different science fiction conventions. You know, the, 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 the two that I I never got to meet that I I, I regret that I never met Gene Roddenberry, and uh, like you, I didn't get a chance to meet DeForest Kelly. It was uh, we were kind of going down the cast list. We'd we'd already had uh, William Shatner as a guest. We'd had Leonard Nimoy as a guest, and D would have been the next person on our, our want list to ask uh, as a guest and unfortunately he passed away before uh, before that could happen yeah. yeah yeah you know you were mentioning the uh, the day the earth stood still as one of the movies i still make i teach a, i'm an english teacher uh by trade and uh i teach a science fiction lit course and i still require them to watch um the original uh day the earth stood still um and what we do is, oh we, yeah, it's it, it is a, a, definitely a classic, yeah. and uh, probably hard for people to imagine now. But uh, e- even a frightening movie, and not just for its overall message uh, of our uh, potential planetary self destruction, but uh, for instance, the scene where Klaatu, uh, uh, the the robot, comes to life and right. is threatening the, the female lead in it. Uh, to a little boy who'd never seen anything like that, it was it was a, a terrifying. Oh yeah, uh, no maybe even uh, as we're uh, what's the other one? Uh, uh, oh, it uh, it it came from outer space. Oh yeah, uh, uh, or the thing from outer space. I'm yeah. sorry. Uh, uh, which again, I, I far prefer the original to the the uh, was it John Carpenter that remade it? I guess. Oh yeah, uh, later then. Uh, yeah. So. It was uh, the 1950s was a uh, actually a great time for for science fiction. I think. Yeah, no doubt. It really gets into the uh, the golden age with the Asimov and the the Clark that you kind of encountered. Yeah, uh, you know there was there were <laughs> there was there was even the schlock was kind of fun uh, back in the 50s. You had some of the early uh, 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 television uh attempts at science fiction uh things like uh rocky jones space ranger i can remember watching as a boy uh uh and, and in, a, in a time before you had so many electronic <laughs> gadgets available to everyone 
I can remember uh, uh, using my imagination and an old empty shoebox uh, turned upside down. And in the shoebox, I had uh, drawn uh, like dials and, and such and would poke in bits of wire and broken pieces from old radios and everything. And, and that, that shoebox with a few things sticking out of it became uh, my control panel. Oh yeah, uh, for my own rocket ship of the mind, if you will, uh, that I would play with sometimes. Mm. You you mentioned earlier that uh, you knew your love of Star Trek. Uh, how satisfying was it for you when you got to work on? I believe it was a comic with Deep Space Nine. Yeah, one of the, one of the great things I I, I wrote a, a short Star Trek uh, Deep Space Nine comic book story, uh, and. Again, that's all it was. It was just a, it was just a standalone backup story, uh, eight pages or whatever. But still, it remains one of the highlights of, of my career, if you will, <laughs> uh, for that very reason. Uh, that 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 once I did that, uh, I could truthfully claim forever after to have at least made a tiny, tiny, tiny contribution. Uh, to the Star Trek mythos, and that's that's a source of pride for me. When it comes to superheroes that many people be familiar with, like in the DC or Marvel universe, do, do you have any favorites? Uh, that just just personal favorites, or or one or personal favorites that you actually wrote for? I uh, certainly. Uh, when I was a boy, uh, Spider Man far and away was was my favorite. Uh, Strangely enough, I've also always been uh, a fan of the character Hawkeye. Uh, I think in part because, again, besides science fiction, I've always been a fan of uh, just action-adventure in general, the old swashbucklers, uh, for my money, the Errol Flynn movie, The Adventures of Robin Hood, is still the finest uh, presentation of Robin Hood ever, so I've always liked that kind of character. Uh Lots, lots of lots of great heroic characters. Uh, the, all the traditional ones, of course, Superman, Batman, uh, etc. Of the ones I've I've gotten to write uh, in the Wolverine, Captain America miniseries that I wrote for Marvel. Uh, and again, this is on a personal level. The very first comic book I ever purchased for myself. I've read comic books before here and there, but the first comic book I ever bought was Avengers number 17. Uh, not the most recent Avengers 17, the first Avengers number 17. Uh, and it was the first issue with what was then the new team of Avengers, which consisted of Captain America, Hawkeye, Quicksilver, and the Scarlet Witch. So, again, the first, and, and that first comic just led me then on down the trail that eventually led to me becoming a writer myself. So decades later to be able to write a Captain America story myself, to be able to put words into the mouth of, of such a great and venerable character was uh, just a super, super thrill. It really was. I, I mean, I also just had to be a feeling of great accomplishment too. It was. It was a, a sort of a, a validation, if you will, a sign that uh, uh, it had been a long and sometimes difficult road, but uh, I'd, I'd gotten at least part of, partly to where I wanted to be. Yeah, absolutely. That, 
Um, when you were a kid, did you, um, I think about my own 13 year old son who will sit down with a blank sheet of paper, create a panel of comics and then like sketch them out, even using characters that aren't his own. Did you, did you kind of create your own comics as a kid, you know, kind of playing around? Actually, yes. In fact, I, uh, I am almost entirely self-taught uh, as a writer, and I also, of course, was always fascinated uh, with the art element as well. And uh, like a lot of kids, uh, wild away many hours uh, copying freehand uh, drawings out of comic books and such. So, yeah, starting when I was about 14 years old, I began to write and draw my own uh, comic book stories. And in, in many, many ways, that was my, my classroom uh, for becoming not just a comic book writer, but just a writer in general. And uh, it's one of those things, again, that I, I'm, I'm very proud of. Uh, they're in the process, uh, the, even as we speak, of constructing a new museum here in Tulsa that uh, is kind of colloquially going to be called the OK Pop which is short for the uh, Oklahoma Museum of Popular Culture. And it's uh, going to spotlight the work of uh, all sorts of creatives, as they call them, uh, writers, artists, musicians, actors, uh, with Oklahoma ties or roots. And uh, there will be a comic book and comic strip section as well. And uh, so I'll have a, a small representation in that part of this museum. And uh, all of those old comic book stories that I wrote and drew as a boy, uh, and I continued to do that up until I was about college age, uh, all of those I had held on to and are now in the possession of the uh, Oklahoma Historical Society. Oh, cool. That kind of That's fantastic. Yeah, that preserves them for, uh, you know, for a while. Ab least. Absolutely. It, it, uh, and, and it shows the, it helps shows the, the evolution of the, uh, at least one person's uh, creative talents and then how they they grew and developed. Uh, one of the things that I, I stumbled upon very early on that I only later learned uh, was something that some professionals actually use, and that was uh, swipe art. Uh, I, uh, besides just the fact that I, I wasn't a great artist, uh, also, of course, it takes a lot longer to draw a comic book than it does to, to write one. So uh, I discovered at some point, though, that if I uh, just copied uh, other people's artwork out of comic books, I could do it uh, faster and it looked better as well. So uh, uh, I became, you know, fairly adept at, uh, at swiping art to use in my own comic book stories. <laughs> That's awesome. I don't know that I've heard, I don't know that I've ever heard that term before. Let's talk about uh, your new original work. Uh, you have a series called, uh, I'm not sure if I'm, hopefully I'm pronouncing it right, uh, Simidar. Uh, yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about the world of uh, Simidar? This was, and again, I, I'm giving away my own age and how long I've been working in this, uh, this business. Simidar uh, was originally created as a comic book series and uh, is, is mildly science fictional. And uh, when it first appeared, it was... Uh, it was set in the uh, the near future, which at that time was the year two thousand five. Uh, so, so it's it's a little dated now, but essentially it was it was a world where everything that could go wrong had gone wrong, uh, 
short of uh, it, it was not the, the the typical like post-apocalyptic kind of future. But there had been another Great Depression, uh, even worse than the one uh, in the late 1920s, 1930s. Uh, so the world was uh, more chaotic and an anarchic. Uh, the city of New York, for instance, instead of having thousands and thousands of police officers to keep the peace, only had a couple of hundred. Uh, and the result was, of course, rampant crime. And uh, Semidar was a woman who was uh, an adventurous, and she was also empathic, uh, which made her perfect as sort of a human bloodhound. And uh, so the the early comic books they were always uh, they were always written as uh, mini series. So over the course of the years, I wrote uh, seven different uh, Semidar comic book mini series, many of which, uh, because of the degree of of uh, violence and sexuality and such were uh, adult only and uh, it, it was one of my better known creations actually and just a couple of years ago then uh, a publisher for whom I'm currently writing prose novels and who had been a fan of the original uh, seminar comic books asked if I would be interested in uh, willing to write a seminar novel so there is now a seminar novel as well, which is, is not just a rehashing or even a, a sequel, really, to the comic book. It's, it's sort of a, a reboot and actually gives the closest to an origin story uh, that I ever gave the character. So uh, the seminar is still sort of with me. And, of course, one of the, one of the artists who's uh, – he did not draw all of the seminar comics, but the artist most closely associated – with her and me is uh, Rob Davis. And Rob also did the interior illustrations for my Scimitar comic, or uh, no, novel rather, that I wrote. So uh, it, was, it was a reunion of sorts. <clears throat> Excuse me. And of course, Rob is, uh, is working with me again in the, in the comic books now. He's the, uh, he's the artist of the new Silver Line series that I'm writing entitled Twilight Grimm. Tell us a little bit about Twilight Grimm. Twilight Grimm is set in uh, a fictional but modern-day city. Uh, some of the inspiration for it, actually, <laughs> strangely enough, uh, came from my love of all things having to do with uh, the American frontier and the Old West. And it was not uncommon in Western cities for cities to sort of be split <laughs> Uh, sometimes by a specific street. Uh, sometimes it was uh, the railroad tracks. I assume that's where the term wrong side of the tracks comes from. <clears throat> and uh, on the wrong side of the track or the road would be the area, the bad part of town. That would be the, where the saloons were and, and the brothels and so forth. And as long as all of that stayed in its designated area, the people in the rest of the town would put up with it and more or less ignore it and even kind of pretend it didn't exist. And even into modern times, I know as, at least as recently as the 1980s, I don't know how it is now, uh, there was a section of modern-day Boston that I believe was called the Combat Zone that was that way. So that's that was kind of my setup here in the city of Hallowed Heights, 
at one point about 20 years ago or so, uh, there was a, a bit of a war between human beings and vampires. And the truce that was hammered out at the end of this confrontation called for the building of a wall through part of the city of Hallowed Heights. And on one side of that wall, uh, the population is fully human. That's where you have uh, the, the middle and upper classes, most of the businesses, etc. On the other side of the wall, it is essentially a horrible modern-day ghetto. Uh, there is where the homeless, the disenfranchised, uh, the poor uh, have to live, and that's also where the vampires live. So, naturally enough, the vampires pretty much run everything in the in the so-called blood zone, and very little law is enforced there. So, a sort of uh, self-designated guardian has arisen in the form of a young man who doesn't mind at all taking on vampires, and his name is Twilight Grimm. That's awesome. Cool. Yeah. And who doesn't like a good vampire uh, story there? That's awesome. And this, as far as time period, this takes place? It's, it's in the modern day. Okay, it's modern uh, day. Okay. Yeah, yeah. If somebody's hearing, uh, intrigued by some of the original stories we've been talking about, and even some of your past work in the mainstream uh, comic book genre, what's the best way they get a hold of it? Uh, probably uh, nowadays uh, online, of course, uh, some of my comic book work you can find if you uh, are lucky enough to have a good uh, local comic book shop. Uh, a lot of things, of course, nowadays can be found on eBay and Amazon. If you, if you go to, to Amazon's book section, for instance, and just type in the name R.A. Jones and do a search. Uh, it should pull up uh, a little information about me and also about uh, a lot of the books that I've written, uh, both comic books and novels and, and magazines and so forth. And uh, obviously, I assume they can uh, access some of your work through Silverline Comics, right? Uh, I would, yes, access. Uh, this week, uh, uh, they started a, a Kickstarter campaign uh, so if you go to Kickstarter and, and just look for Twilight Grand there, where they're kind of doing a, uh, a, a double feature, actually, because besides uh, Twilight Grimm, I'm also uh, scripting a second uh, new series for Silverline entitled Divinity, uh, which was uh, created by a very talented uh, artist named Barb Kalberg. And uh, it's my, uh, I've, I've known Barb and her work for many, many years, but this is the first time I've actually gotten to work with her. Uh, and having a lot of fun with it and divinity uh, also set in the modern day is, is the story of a, an 11 year old girl named divinity uh, who has just discovered that she has a, a, a mysterious and amazing ability to heal by simply laying her hands on a, a person or an animal and, and wishing it. So, and uh, so both both Divinity and Twilight Grimm number one are are now up on uh, Kickstarter, and uh, in fact one of the uh, kind of bonus incentive uh, offerings on the Twilight Grimm uh, is uh, my original 
I'm so old school that I still write my first draft in longhand with pen and ink. And so uh, I, uh, I gave them my handwritten plot and my handwritten script and even something I do. I uh, very roughly and crudely draw my own layouts for an entire issue, too. So wow. I know how the story is going to flow and the panels and so forth to, to let the artist know. Uh, what I'm looking for. So all, all of that is up there. And there's actually uh, coming soon going to be yet a third uh, series uh, I created and wrote for Silver Line. Um, and it is also, uh, this one is science fictional. It's, uh, it's called White Devil. And some people, if you might remember that name, uh, again, White Devil, the first White Devil series, uh, was written for Malibu Comics back in the uh, late 80s or early 1990s. And so this is a, a belated follow-up to that. So technically, I guess this is White Devil 2. Uh, and that, uh, that is a mini-series I've done that will also be coming soon from Silver Line Comics. That's awesome. Well, uh, Mr. Jones, it was fantastic kind of sit down here in the diner and just chat with you a little bit. Miles, do you have any other questions for him? Um, no, but there's some really impressive stories, uh, Mr. Jones, that I find very interesting. I'm going to have to check out sometime. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, well, thank you so much for coming on the diner and, uh, and joining us and talking a little bit about the work that you've done and the work that's coming up. Thanks for having me. It's been a great pleasure being here at the diner.